All right, folks, we're back for another episode of Skirmish Supremacy, and as as normal, I am joined by joined by my co-host Nick. Nick, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Good. That's all you get to talk this episode. And of course, tonight <laughs> we have a very special guest. We have Pat Lewis from Mantic Games. He's actually going to be talking to us about Dead Zone, uh, the Pathfinder program, and some upcoming cons and whatever the hell else we wish to speak about, just like we do in any other normal episode. Pat, how you doing tonight? Good. I'm doing good, guys. How you guys doing today? I'm doing awesome. Doing awesome. Can't really complain. I'm sitting here drinking beer and uh, chatting with you guys about some games. So uh, yeah, it sounds good. So Pat, tell us. A, yeah. So Pat, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with Mantic? Well, let's see. Uh, well, back in the day, I used to be the old one, an old GW outrider, and I got uh, pretty tied in with some of the guys from the promotions crew. And you know, when people started to leave that company. Uh, one of the guys uh, went to work for, who's the VP of sales, uh, Steve Morgan, went to work for Warlord Mantic. And then I m- met Steve out here in Chicago at Adepticon uh, when he was out here with Mantic and Warlord, and that's how I met Ronnie. And uh, we just kind of hit it off, and I would come and help him at Gen Con and Adepticon, and we got to talking about starting a Pathfinder program, or starting the Pathfinder program, I guess, kind of like... Um, a GW Outrider, and then one thing led to another, and then uh, he asked me to become the community manager and revamp the Pathfinder program and do everything down here in the United States. Nice. So you got started originally with GW, and you moved over at the same time that, uh, I guess you want to call it the, the GW fracturing from the inside happened. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just, uh, I, I we'll call it restructuring. Yeah. Basically, basically when they dismantled the, the whole North American offices. Right. Those are the ones that were in Tennessee, if I remember. Well, they were in Baltimore first, and then they moved to Tennessee, and then it just kind of it just kind of fractured from there. They got rid of the promotions department in, in the States. You know, that started with the getting rid of the White Dwarf uh, United States crew, you know, because I guess there used to be two crews. There used to be a, a U.S. White Dwarf content and a U.K. White Dwarf content. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it just kind of all, uh, I guess, re-centralized back to Nottingham. Okay, cool. So you, you got involved with Mantic uh, shortly after uh, the restructuring in, in North America. Yeah, pretty and much you got... from the get-go of Mantic. Yeah, okay. Uh, when it was just elves and zombies. <laughs> you got involved with them. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was done. Okay, sorry. I, I was a little bit of a mic break up there. I wasn't sure who was talking. Magic of the internet. So I was going to say that uh, you got involved with them uh, back when uh, Mantic first got started. So you've been with uh, Mantic now. How long have they been a company, officially? Oh, let's see. I would say about since 2008, so about seven years, seven, eight years now. Because I, I, I think I got in just a year after he started. Okay, cool. And at that point, I believe all they had was Kings of War, correct? Uh, it wasn't even really King's War. It was just, uh, like I said, as elves and zombies. And then um, as the popularity of the zombies came forward, uh, people started coming to the con and asked us, well, where's our game? And we said, well, you know, we don't really have a game, but we, you know, we just make models right now that you can use for other games. And they're like, oh, but we, you know, are you going to have a game? So then Ronnie said, okay, well, people ask for a game, let's make a game. So then Ronnie got with Alessio and uh, made Kings of War, and we released those rules out online for free so people could have a game to play. 
And then funny thing happens, uh, people started coming to the to the booth again and asked us where our book for our game is. And then we would say, well, it's online. You can just download it and you can play the game. We would like a book. Uh, so then we kick, did our first Kickstarter with King's War and made the first King's War book, which was uh, I thought was really great because then that allowed us to bring in more armies and more models. Nice. And then from there, you guys started branching off into other games as well. What were some of those other games? Let's see. After King's War, we tried uh, a little bit of Warpath, but Ronnie wasn't happy with the way that game was going, so we kind of scrapped it and put it on the back burner. And then after that, we... Uh, we delved into some uh, dungeon callers. We did the first reiteration of uh, Dungeon Saga, which was called uh, Dwarf King's Hold. Um, and that went well, all right. And we did a sci-fi version of it, too, called Pandora's Project. Um, so then we, after we kind of messed around with that, then Ronnie had an idea. Uh, when You know, when you come to Adepticon in Chicago, there's a, a place called Whirlyball. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Whirly Ball, but basically Whirly Ball in Chicago is basically, think about it as basketball, lacrosse combined, uh, but played in bumper cars. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's a I've great I've never game. heard of that, and I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's really only Chicago Century located, and then so... Uh, we would go play that with a bunch of guys, and then, you know, after Ronnie played it for the first time, he came back to England and said, you guys got to see this game I played. And as they talked about it, they actually turned that into Dreadball, which is our, our sci-fi sports game. Nice. So you took something that was some weird mash from a local, I guess you want to call it, like hobby, and turned it into an actual sci-fi sports game. Yeah, it was so. I thought it was funny, and uh, then we did our second Kickstarter with that, and then that actually just kind of broke broke wild, and uh, we were able to fund twenty five teams with that. Uh, you know, we had a good circuit going on. Uh, we're now looking into doing version two here very soon. Uh, tighten it up. Uh, we had six rule booklets, uh, so we're looking to combine all that into one rule book. So now everyone can just have one compendium. Um, so then after uh, the the success of Dreadball, we wanted to go forth with the that sci-fi universe that Dreadball is based in. And then that's when uh, we came up with uh, our sci-fi skirmish game called Dead Zone. Uh, we, did, we did a Kickstarter for that, and that happens to be our most successful Kickstarter, you know, pulling over one-something one million dollars easy. Um, and now we're into... We did that for about a year, and it also came with the, the Battlezone tiles, which is a modular uh, terrain kit that allows you to, uh, I guess, you know, people call it adult Legos, you know, because it allows you to build any kind of building you want uh, as long as you have the, the, the pieces and the connectors. Right, and that makes perfect sense. Because uh, actually, when I when I first saw Dead Zone, that was the first thing I noticed was the terrain that you guys were putting out. Not that I wasn't paying attention to Dead Zone, it was just, uh, that seemed to be the big thing that a lot of people were talking about that seemed to be, I guess, the runaway hit of the entire project. I think so, too. I mean, because now it was affordable, and you can make your own terrain now. I mean, whereas before, you know, you were getting foam core, you were getting foam, you were finding sticks in your backyard and gluing them together to make your own terrain. You know, there was never really an affordable terrain kit that that wasn't uh, paper. Right, which makes sense, because I know that... Uh, you know, up, in, up until the, well, the Dead Zone terrain came out, it was pretty much, if you wanted anything sci-fi or high-quality 
resin, which would cost you an arm and a leg, or it was pretty much just GW products, which were sometimes very hard to get a hold of, and for a lot of people, it was really expensive. Yeah, and it was all, uh, you know, it's all single pieces. Like, what you bought is what you got. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you couldn't change it the way you... I mean, you could change it the way, but, you know, not without a little bit of elbow grease and things like that. Cool. So, speaking of Dead Zone, you guys actually did a few Kickstarters on that. If I remember correctly, there was the original Dead Zone, and there's one that you guys just put out called Infestation. Yes, uh, Infestation was the second to last. We did a mini kick after that to, to to fund to get the books done for version two. But Infestation brought in new tiles, industrial tiles, pipes, ceiling fans, fans, uh, floor fans, uh, conveyor belts um, into the battle zone, trial, as well as bringing in the vermin or, or space rats for uh, a more generic term, a faction into Dead Zone. So now... Uh, we are up to, well, let me see, one, two, four, three, four, five, there's Darian's vermin. I think I'm missing one. So I think we're up to seven factions now that you can play in Dead Zone. Nice, nice. And I noticed one thing uh, that, you know, even from playing in the, the version one, uh, each faction plays very different. It's not like... Uh, it's not like there's like generic troops per one. Every faction kind of has those one or two things that it's really, really good at, but at the same time, they kind of also have their Achilles heel. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, we wanted to do because, uh, you know, from here, we're going to expand the universe into Warpath, which we can talk about later. Uh, but so we wanted to give to make sure each faction had its own feel. Uh, you know, you got your enforcers, which are the... Supreme Elite Soldiers of the GCPS, and, uh, you know, so they get the nice armor, they get the big guns, uh, but they're just regular human guys, so, and then you have the Marauders, which are your, your orcs, uh, they were the army prior to the Enforcers coming along, uh, they used to work for the uh, Co-Prosperity Sphere guys, the, the Council of Seven, and uh, they decided, well, why are we fighting for you guys when we can just take this ourselves? <laughs> Uh, right, so, so they became good. their own mercenaries. Yeah, so they became their own mercenaries. They're like, what? You know, why? Why are we fighting for you guys? You know, we can just be doing this for ourselves. Um, and then you got the plague. You know, a mysterious artifact showing up on the on the outer spheres of the of the galaxy, uh, mutating humans, turning them into these feral beasts and zombies. Uh, and then you have the rebels who are against the the co-prosperity sphere group, the, the seven, so, you know, uh, throwing off the reins of tyranny, supposedly, uh, fighting out in the rims, scrounging what they can. Uh, then you have the Asterians, which are, uh, or I guess for lack of better terms, space elves. Uh, their big thing, though, is that they don't really believe in fighting, uh, I guess, face-to-face. What they do is they, they bond with these uh, robots, mind mill kind of, you know, they spend years training with them. And they control them from another place while the robots do their uh, ciphers, they call them, do, do the fighting for them. Uh, but, you know, that being said, if a cipher was to, to fall in battle, then that the guy who he's bonded with is kind of out of commission for a while until he can get his head right. Right, because if I remember correctly reading the fluff, I'm an Asterian player. So when, when they mind meld with the ciphers... They're they're basically looking through the eyes of the cipher. They feel everything that the robot gets hit with. They they fire the guns just as if they were down there on the battlefield. So when it gets turned offline, they kind of 
they kind of go into a coma for a little bit and they go yeah. a little crazy and then they kind like of neurofeedback. Yeah. Yeah, they almost go get like a little bit of PTSD and then they gotta get counseling to snap out of it. Yep, and then hopefully be able to to remild with another cipher. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, that was one of the things that definitely intrigued me about the Asterians when I was playing in the first edition. But, uh, you know, kind of transitioning into the new edition, you guys have done quite a few changes in Dead Zone 2.0. So, um, you know, to our listeners out there, you know, I don't want to say ignore the fact that Dead Zone 1.0 happened. Definitely don't do that because a lot of the fluff is there, a lot of the models are there. But there was a lot of streamlining that was done with 2.0. Do you want to elaborate on some of that a little bit? I know there was quite a bit, so we can kind of start in one spot and jump all over a little bit here. Sure. Uh, well, you know, you know, we were very happy with the original Dead Zone. So, you know, we we we've played it for a year, uh, but Ronnie was always like, "There's just something not right about it." You know, I just I don't feel like it's he goes, "It's a little too clunky still." So then he went to Jake and a bunch of other guys and said, we need to clean this up still. And it's fast, but I think it could be faster, a little more easier to play. So they went back, and they uh, got rid of some certain things. Like first they got rid of uh, Dead Zone 1 came with a bunch of stat cards for your player. So they got rid of that because you always were looking back at your cards. And then if you played in the campaign, if you upgraded your 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 characters or your models then that card became useless. Uh, another thing we got rid of is there were a little bit too many special abilities, and it was kind of confusing. You were always, always looking through. So rather than have, uh, so like, for example, say you had a, a stage uh, stage two uh, plague, which is one of their hand-to-hand guys, rather than say he's a better, a better fighter with, say, Brawler, which gave him a plus one to his fight skill, why didn't you just make his fight skill one higher? <laughs> Right, make it easier to perform. Yeah, so basically we we got rid of some of the some of the special abilities that just adjust the statistics of the of the of the model and just incorporated them in the model. That makes sense. I could I could definitely see how that would work out a little bit easier. Yeah. So so yeah. So then it streamlines looking back and forth of all the abilities. You know, like what does brawler do? What does tough do? Kind of a thing. Um, another thing we got too is we got we used to have a, a command deck which is like a deck of cards you could play to modify rolls, add dice well, during, the, during the game. Uh, uh, Ronnie wasn't, wasn't too keen on the deck itself, uh, so we went to an actual command dice system where each facet of the dice did something, you know, like there was a plus one to fight, add a plus one die, plus one attack, plus one action kind of a thing. And then uh, you can use that in the middle of any game, and each turn you got to re-roll, so you would get a new pool of dice. Uh, one thing we added was we added the Mantic Splash, which allows you to use uh, your commander's special ability for the army. So and each army has about three leaders, and each leader has a special ability that you can use with the Mantic Command dice. For example, the, the Marauder Commando Captain, his special ability basically is you use your Mantic Splat then you can use the Mantic Splat of your opponent and his faction special power. Oh, wow. So in a way, he kind of... Uh... He kind of steals your your opponent's... Uh, or his opponent's power for one turn. Nice. It makes sense because uh, with the Marauders being very adaptable in combat, it makes sense. Cool. So, um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, we, we added a, a more movement faster. You know, we made the models a little faster so they can get across the board faster. We got rid of 
some of the clunky shootier rules and streamline that. Uh, yeah, I noticed. All in all, it seems to be a, a good product, and everyone seems to like it. So. Yeah, I have not had a chance to actually put my Asterians back on the table yet to play, but uh, just after reading through the rule book, I definitely noticed there's a lot of stuff that got cleaned up. Uh, the, the the targeting of models was one thing, where basically you either they're either in the open, in cover, or you can't see them at all. Oh yeah, yeah. Which was a huge, huge change, you know, as far as like trying to figure out modifiers. Now it's just are they in the open? You get two dice to shoot them. Yeah, we did change the cover. There was a, there was a, a little bit of confusion with how cover worked in version one, so we just kind of just said, "All right, you can just see all the model, or you don't," <laughs> to get the open right. out in the open bonus. And you know, you can still. And then, since we're working in a three D environment, if you're say behind a, a set of barrels from one side of the cube, um, you can see part of the model, so he would be in cover. But if you were behind him for with another model, you can see all. Even though he's behind, he's by some barrels. If you can see 100% of the model, he's still out in the open. Right, makes which makes sense. a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, the, the other thing I noticed too is you you've now in, so getting rid of the stat cards. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. You've now just given unit entries in the book, and you've also allowed each individual model in your force to gain upgrades or swap out weapons, and you can customize them a little bit more than what you could before. Yeah, I mean, for a while they were just pretty static, uh, and there was a little complaint, not a lot, uh, that they couldn't switch out a weapon if they wanted to, or why couldn't this model have this weapon? So uh, one of the things that the rules committee did was kind of make a small weapons list for each faction that... Uh, while it's a weapons list for the whole faction, not everyone in the faction can take every weapon off the list. Right. So you're still limited to what you can take by your role in the army, so supposed to say. So uh, I actually like that because, you know, it adds a little more to a customizability when you're playing in a campaign. So, you know, you get a guy who, you know, through roles, ends up to be more of a fighter than a shooter anymore. So you're going to maybe want to give him a hand-to-hand -hand weapon instead of a rifle. Right, yeah, so, you know, it it definitely uh, changes up the way that you would use your models a little bit more. You know, like, for example, if I had a cipher, and, you know, you, you got your typical cipher, and, you know, I'm just going to kind of quote it from the book here a little bit. Like, they, They're really good at shooting, they kind of suck at fighting, you know, they're not, they're not the greatest at it compared to some of the other models in the game. It's not that they're terrible, they're just, that's not what they do. No, they're um, definitely a shooty army, that's for sure. So, I mean, on a D8, they're hitting on a 3-up. So you yeah, can't really which is wrong with that. probably the best uh, that's out there right now. Right, so you've got the option of small arms. However, with campaign play, you could have that one cipher that starts getting, you know, really, really good at melee combat, and so you could start giving him a charge glove or a light blade or things of that nature. So he almost starts kind of becoming his own smaller cipher prime. So, yeah, you're going to want to make his fight stat a little bit better. Yeah, so yeah, so that it, you know, I think that's a it, it leads more to like again your customizability with the campaign play than one-off play. You know, you know, it'd be nice to say give your your cipher uh, another weapon. Should you want? Say, uh, I'm trying to remember what weapons they have. Uh, Let's see. I'll just crack open the book here, make it a little bit easy. So <laughs> yeah, the the ciphers 
Uh, let's see here. They could use anything small arms. So that's going to be uh, like the charge glove is a good example. Of that kind of it's basically the Iron Man glove. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right. So yeah. Uh, say you wanted to you wanted a way to fire so you can get some rerolls with your with your attack. So you can change out your rifle and give him a heavy pistol. You know, range is a little bit closer. Uh, or you you know the mission is going to be where you need to defend an object. So you want to you want to give him a, a longer range so he can hold people off. So you can kind of just try to change your weapons out that way. Right. Yes, and it, it makes a lot a lot more sense and allows you to adapt a little bit more on the fly. So even though you know. You, you might not have necessarily a WYSIWYG model just by saying, okay, that cipher has this. It makes it a little bit more easier to manage than trying to reinvent the wheel with a new stat card. Yes. And then just have to, you know, pretty soon you we're, we're holding on to, you know, thousands of cards just to play a game. Yeah, and that gets a little ridiculous. So. Yeah. Cool, cool. So what are some of the other changes? I mean, obviously, I... It's easy for me to talk about the Asterians because that was pretty much the only force that I played in version one. What else did you change compared, like, across the board? Like, which one got the biggest overhaul as far as the faction goes? Uh, surprisingly enough, most of the factions stayed pretty much the same as far as overhauls. Uh, we add, Basically, what we did is we just added more models. I think, if anything, the Rebs got the biggest overhaul because they were, had the biggest complaint about being the weakest faction. Mm -hmm. uh, we added more models to them and gave them better weapons choices and changed a little bit of their rules um, so that they're a little more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, competitive. Right. Uh, yeah, I never got a chance to play the Rebs in the first edition, but I always did hear that with the meta that the Rebs were, you know, everyone always said they were the weakest faction, but... Yeah, I played I, I played them once or twice, and they are they were a little bit weak in version one, uh, and then uh, our revs player here in our group now says you know they're much more competitive with the with the new equipment, the change in stats, the the change in their rules a little bit. You know, like I think I don't think their sniper is heavy anymore. Uh, heavy that means they can move or shoot uh, the leader. Right, which makes sense because the Rebs, I always kind of picture them to be a little bit more mobile than what they were. Yeah, so she she used to be heavy, so she could only move or shoot. Now she's not heavy anymore, so she can move and shoot with her sniper. So she's a little more mobile. So things like that make them a little bit more competitive. Nice, nice. So since Dead Zone 2.0 is kind of the new hotness that Mantic's got out right now, um, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about the different factions? A, a lot of our listeners like, like to kind of know you know, about the different factions, how do they play? Like, what's the one like the one thing that each faction does really well? All right, so let's just go down the list then. Uh, I guess we'll start with everyone's favorite, the Plague. <laughs> so basically the Plague, these guys are your, your mutants. So these guys are all your big tough fighters. They're led by uh, a Plague uh, Stage 1A who's just this big beast of a brute if you've ever seen his model. You know, he fights on three, he saves on four. Uh, he's got an armor two, but he's got no range weapon. He's just got talent, so he's just there to get into the fight. He's slow. Um, then you, uh, as you get smaller, though, the, the more they get to be more shootier. So then you get, like, the stage twos. Uh, they're not as tough or as big of a fighter as uh, the stage ones. You know, they fight on four, seven, four, but... Uh, they rampage, so it means if they get wounded, they can actually take your own army out, so you need to be careful with that. And then you get to the stage threes, which are the guys who didn't actually quite turn, 
they still keep a little bit of their sense, uh, human side sense, so they're able to use weapons. They're able to use the guns. They're able to drive the, the vehicles, the striders, the tanks, and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the bulk of the of the the plague is hand to hands because you get you you know you get the the terratons, uh, the turtle people, the plague swarms, which are just chew everything up in its way. And now we have the new aberration, which is a uh, a crazier version of the stage one. <laughs> that thing is sick house, by the way. Every yeah, time I it, see that model, I'm just impressed by it. It's it's basically like the stage one in steroids. And while the stage one is slow. He moves one and sprints one. This one moves one and sprints two. Ugh, gross. Let, let, let's rewind that. Turtle people? Yep, Terratons. <laughs> turtle people. And they, and, they ter and they teleport. Teleporting turtle people. Do they yep. get swords or bows or staffs or, you know... You can if you want. There is a whole Dreadball team of Terratons that uh, were modeled to be uh, Ninja Turtles for uh, trademark. <laughs> uh, but it was a good-looking army, you know. He 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 sculpted the heads and the and the what do you want to call those? The eye masks, whatever those things are. Uh, but it looks good. Nice. So, uh, so you got your hand-to-hand, -hand, basically almost hand-to-hand. -hand. I mean, they excel in hand-to-hand -hand. Uh, because you can also take the the stage three Zs, which are basically just a horde of zombies. Right, they don't shoot at all. They they fight, but again, they're not that good. Of course, yeah. again, they are a very cheap unit as well. Exactly. Basically, the way it works is that you have the stage one. He infects other people. They turn into stage twos. The stage twos infects, and they turn into stage three. So, the further along down your line, in uh, in the fluff, the stage three Zs are the guys who just couldn't make the turn, or couldn't cope, uh, couldn't keep their mind, so they actually turn into zombies. Nice, yeah, because they're not the they're not officially dead. They're just brain dead. Yes, they just kind of shuffle towards the noise. Which, makes uh, sense. but yeah, but they have the horde rule, which is crazy. Where uh, in a fight, when you have multiple models in a in a fight, you get plus one for having friendlies in the model. I think what horde does is gives you plus one for every model in that cube. This is just nice. plus one. So. so the, their rules are real geared towards hand-to-hand. -hand. Um, you can even mutate uh, with the Mantic Splat with their leader, so you can infect and you can mutate your opponents and turn them into zombies. Awesome. That's always a lot of fun. Yeah, so helping out your army. Uh, then you get the Enforcers, which are next. These are the human factions of the Council of Seven. They're their, their right-hand fist, I guess, uh, or the fist of the Council of Seven. Uh, these more are your more balanced army. This is the the either they can they have some shooting units and they have some uh, sh uh, fighting units, but they are not. I guess what you want to say they don't excel in either one. You know, they're just right down the middle generic. Yeah, I did notice that. Like uh, these these guys are pretty much like your jack of all trades, master of none. But at the same time, you have a lot of options with them. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of them. Uh, and they're just kind of they're just kind of there, you know. Their their stats are almost all the same from model to model. Just maybe a a, a little bit of a change, depending on their role. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like the the assault trooper, his his fight skill is definitely better than the enforcer's fight skill. Uh, the regular shooting enforcer. Uh, but if you're looking to learn the game or you want a safe army to play, the enforcers is the way to go. 
Definitely. Uh, yeah. And, and then we go to the... for the most part, have armor, too, except for the... I think the Pathfinders are the only ones that don't have armor. The rest of them all have armor. Yeah, the Pathfinders, those are the scouts, so, you know, they're lightly... You know, they, of course, don't have armor because they're moving quick. Right. Uh, uh, then the vermin, these are the space rats. These guys are the ones that are quick. Uh, they're basically, their strength is able to, is their mobility. Uh, they're able to just get across the board. Uh, they don't, they're like revs where they don't, they don't excel in fighting or shooting. They're not horrible at it, but again, if you can get, uh, and they're fairly cheap per model, so you can get quite a few out. Uh, but they move almost all two, three. So, you know, when they move, they're moving two squares, and when they're sprinting, they're moving three squares. So they can get, uh, when the board is only eight squares across, you know, they're getting they're getting to where they need to go fast. They can get dug in, and then with their with their chemical weapons, you know, they're able to hold a, 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 an objective when they can, you know? Right, yeah, because I noticed that they don't, they're not very survivable, but they're definitely there to just, I mean, I mean, a lot of the weapons, like even on the, your typical crawlers, they all have weight of fire, so they're all about suppressing the enemy. They're going to get in there, they're going to sit next to the objective, and they're going to make sure you don't get it. Not so yeah. much that they're going to get it, but you're not going to get it. Yeah, they want they want to pin you down and then run in there, because uh, in Dead Zone, one of the mechanics is when you're pinned, if you move in to fight a model that's pinned, you're going to get a plus one to fight against that model. So, you know, you're pinning them with the, with the heavies, you're moving the fast guy in, and then you're getting plus one, you know, you're moving three or four models in at a time. That's gross. Yeah, so the, it's basically swarming. There, there, it would be your swarm army if you needed it uh, in a skirmish game. Cool. And then you got your forge fighters. These are your space dwarves. These guys are the old race, you know. They make all the cool weapons. They have all the cool weapons. Uh, but just like your typical dwarf, they're slow. So... They don't move very fast, but they have all the good stuff. So they shoot, and they survive really well. Uh, and when they get in a hand-to-hand, they hit like a hammer, of course, you know, just like a dwarf would. Yeah, well, I noticed that uh, one of the big things that they pretty much have on uh, most of their, their melee weapons is they're all, for the most part, armor-piercing. So yeah, they're going to go right through you. They're going to punch a hole. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a while to get there, you know. It's like fighting on a Zamboni, but they'll get there. <laughs> and when they do, they'll, they'll hit you like a ton of bricks. Uh, now all I can think of is Deadpool. Yeah. I'll kill you with the Zamboni. <laughs> Someday. But, but all their weapons are armor-piercing, even their shooting weapon, just about everything. So, you know, they're these are the guys, just like in typical any sci-fi or fantasy, these guys are the ones who make all the weapons. So, of course, all their weapons would be are tough to bear. Yeah, they're... Uh... Everything I see about them, like they're they're pretty they're pretty beefy when it comes time to how they. I mean, their saves are decent. They save on for the most part on a four plus, so they're they're sticking around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, almost everything that they have is armor piercing, which is disgusting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, you know it it plays their role. You know they have some armored guys and they have armored guys. Uh, of course, the armored guys are a little more way or almost double the expense of, of the unarmored guys. So. You gotta you gotta play around with your points, uh, but the 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 strength of the Forge Father is their technology. Yeah, they have. I mean, so a lot of the stuff that they have is just top notch. Like, it, it, the one thing I noticed just from looking at the Forge Fathers uh, in the new edition is that you almost never want to take them on one one on one because they'll probably win. You pretty much want to put two models on one to take it down. 
Oh yeah, definitely. You definitely need to find some. You def, when if you know you're gonna be playing Forge, you got for excuse me, I'm speaking too fast. If you know you're playing Forge Fathers, you're gonna want you have to keep armor piercing in your head um, because you want to be able to get past their armor so you can actually hurt them. Right, which makes sense. So, so when you when you make your strike force, your strike team, you should have you should think. I could possibly be playing a Forge Father player, so I should have a little bit of armor piercing on my side. Yeah, because if you don't, you're going to be... It's going to take you a while to take down models. Even their typical line troops are not going to go down easy. No, no. So, uh, after the Forge Fathers, you have the Asterians, also a, another older race. In the fluff, they, uh, they, uh, they allude to they know who might be making the... or who made the artifacts that are turning all the people into the plague. Uh, but they're, I don't know, I guess the Asterians are basically just the shooty army. They are, they have great shoot, but they uh, are made of glass. Yes, very much so. They'll go down, but uh, to compensate for that, though, they do have uh, some of these things, they have some shields uh, built into them. Uh, they have uh, mobile platforms, shield platforms, too, so they could basically move those around to shield themselves while they're while they're shooting so yes they um they're not the fastest i mean they're they're fast but they're not no i think it's you know but i think basically you know most of these guys they shoot on three pluses which is the best you know that you can roll to shoot uh yeah the uh the army for the most part is very very good at shooting you know one of their leaders gives you a allows a any one of the Regular troops rifle to gain rapid fire and way to fire, so that's that's pretty huge. So now they can suppress and uh, and reroll two misses. <laughs> yes, and then uh, so explain this one to me because I was actually reading this earlier, and this just sounds like a cool ability if I'm thinking of it correctly. The overseer, which is like if you want to call it the 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 badass Asterian that actually decides to go into battle. So he's yeah, like, he's the one guy he's that actually does outcome in. Yeah. So he's not actually in a cipher. This this is like an Asterian that's like, all right, I got to get my hands dirty. He's got this ability called Wheels Within Wheels, and the way it works is you may spend an army special result on your command dice to discard any one of your opponent's command dice. This does not count as an action. Yes. Wow. So. Yeah. So basically, he can uh, he can still move. He can still get. He can do still do two. Uh, Two short actions and two long act, or one long action, in addition to using a special ability, which basically just eliminates your opponent's command dice, so they can't use their special abilities. It kind of alludes to the fact that the Asterians are so smart they know what you're going to do before you do it. Exactly. That's crazy. I really like it. I can't yeah. wait to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you know we added a new model, uh, the Kalishi. Uh, the Kalishi basically are the pure Asterians. They don't believe in bonding with the Cypher. They believe in getting their, uh, getting back to their the roots of uh, bow and arrows and knives and fighting up front, things like that. Space Rambo's. Basically, yeah. So you know they they abhor the the technology. I will call them hippies of the Asterians. Yeah, that works too. Except I wouldn't know any hippie that I would mess with like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's this there, and then you, of course you got my faction, the Marauders. These guys are kind of your, your, I don't know what to call it. They're just kind of your mercenary army. They're a little bit, also like humans, a little bit straight down the line. What the difference is that uh, 
almost all orc commandos are the same, you know, the stat-wise. The only thing that changes with them is the, the type of weapon you load out. So basically how you want to arm your marauders is how you choose which troop you're going to take. Okay. Because uh, yeah, the marauders themselves, stat lines, don't, don't change all that much. Yeah, for the mo- moment, most part, I noticed that they're shoot five, fight of either four or five. So they're, they're kind of a little bit of a, uh, a swap between the uh, enforcers. Is So where the enforcers are a little bit better at shooting, uh, you know, not so great at fighting, the, it's just the opposite for the marauders where they're a little bit better at fighting than they are at shooting. Yes, they're, still, they're still, you know, straight down the line, but they're not, they're definitely not terrible by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, these, uh, they're, they're more brute force than finesse, I guess, would be a good way of saying it. Yes, very much so. So, and, and, you know. And I noticed with them, their weapons are all about, like, laying down as much firepower as possible. A lot of them are explosive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, big the Big booms, they like to, to light things on fire. They like to, they like to hit you with as much as they can, so. Uh, they have a lot of knockback. Things like that. So yeah, I I definitely noticed that uh, they, and they're they're not exactly slouches on armor piercing either. Like you got the H E W cannon, armor piercing five. Is that even really necessary? Uh, well, for an orc, yes, because you want to make sure you're going to go down. Basically, you want that so you can take down the walkers. Yeah, which makes sense. You know, orcs don't come to a battle unprepared. They want to be able to take down whatever they need to take down. <laughs> yes, very much so. And then, uh, so the next one we come up to is actually the Rebs. So this is the biggest one with the most overhauls. And this one, honestly, I can't comment too much on because I never really got a chance to fight the Rebs. But, uh, so what were some of the changes that were made? I know you said that uh, their snipers are no longer considered uh, heavy, so they can actually move and shoot. Yes. Um, basically, they added more specialists. And... Uh... Downgraded some of the points for the troops so you can take more. Um, but the Rebs, the, one of the hardest things about the Rebs before was that they were kind of a specialized army. That you had to take certain troops to get certain things running. So, uh, as, But if you, can look at, if you look at the Rebs list, there is just a ton of specialists. More specialists in the Reb list than there is any specialist in any army right now. And their troop list is very small. So, you know, basically with the Rebs, you're, you're looking to specialize your force uh, for what you need it to do. So basically you got to think guerrilla warfare. You know, you're just going to send this team in to do this certain thing, and that's it. Right, which makes sense. I noticed it, yeah, because they have – how many was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They have 12 specialists. So, yeah, they're definitely – they're definitely one of those armies where you're going to be running as much of the fancy stuff as possible. Yeah, and then, you know, they only have three regular troops, you know, and it's just three different races. <laughs> right, yeah, the the spear loader, the rebel. Yeah, just the regular rebel trooper, yep, and then the, the Indian. Rebel trooper, yep. yep. And so when you're playing rebs, you're just you're looking to kind of tailor make your force. Yeah, and I, I noticed that, like, they, they can uh, – it, it pretty much benefits you to, to look across from your opponent and say, okay, what's the scenario we're playing? What are you bringing to the battle? Yeah, what's what's going to happen here? Right. You know, and then you got, uh, again, uh, for Nick, there's the Rebel Terraton. Yes. <laughs> the big giant teleporting turtle. That, that's your hand-to-hand guy. Um, yes. 
they're disgusting. So, but you know, the rebels they're 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 also very generic as far as the shooting and stuff like that. So, uh, how strong your rebel forces is how you put it together, basically. Right, which makes sense. Yeah, they're definitely very versatile. And then uh, we have the last section of models, which is kind of the jack of all trades, which are the mercenaries. Yes, these are guys that you can add to any force depending on, uh, you know, basically in campaign games you can add mercenaries. And I forget the rule in mercenaries on a one-off game. I think, uh, uh, but these are just a little bit better than average guys. Uh, you can only use a mercenary that will work for whoever, you know, to, in the list it tells you who they'll work for. Uh, right. You've got ones that will only work for certain people. You've got ones that will work for anybody. You've got ones that will work for any except enforcers. Yeah. Some, oh. some that pretty much stick with their specific faction. Yep. And then, you know, uh, so these are guys, that j- these are your all-stars, basically. If you wanted to add something to add a little spice to your game, uh, you guys can play with mercenaries. So it's, you know, so like adding special characters, basically. Right. Yeah, it's, it definitely, uh, it allows you to patch any holes that you might have in your army by using mercenaries. Yeah. This uh, Ogre Terminator is an awesome model. <laughs> it is. Is that a new one? Yeah. Really? I might have to get that one. I've got just about all the mercenaries. And then I noticed that one. And now I feel like I'm sorely lacking. <laughs> He's awesome. He is. So, and then uh, I noticed that in here, you guys uh, put out stats for Blaine. Now, Blaine was a Kickstarter exclusive, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Blaine was a Kickstarter exclusive starting with, uh, I want to say Dreadball. It was supposed to be a star player, and then um, I don't know at what point we just decided to put him in every game as a special character. So every one of our games, there is a special Blaine character that you can get. In King's Ward, is a Blaine riding like a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex mount like or like a Velociraptor. Right. In Dead Zone, there was there's Blaine on foot and there's Blaine on jet bike. There's the Blaine special character for uh, Dreadball. Uh, I don't I don't think we put a Blaine. Oh yeah, we put a Blaine in Mars Attacks too. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a Kickstarter exclusive. Uh, so there's a, a Blaine model for, for Mars Attacks. Hmm. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, so Blaine is the guy. He just kind of shows up everywhere. <laughs> we like to call him. I think the, the fluff behind him is like he's like this time travel dimensional guy who shows up just everywhere. He's kind of the space mercenary. Yeah, you know, or maybe he's like the, the Scott Bakula of, of, of the Mantic Universe. <laughs> I guess that's another way of looking at it. <laughs> the quantum leap guy. <laughs> Nice. So then the last section of the book, I don't want to touch on this too much because we still got to talk about the Pathfinder program and how to get people involved in that. Tell us a little bit about how the campaign system works. Okay. So basically the campaign system works is that you, you make a strike force. Uh, The difference between strike force strike team is strike force is your pool of, uh, or your pool of, troops, your troop of men that you pull from to make a strike team. So okay. you start with basically a, uh, I think for the most part, you could, we do 500 points. So you make, uh, for it, what we use here, uh, we use army now instead of strike force. Uh, you start your army with 500 points. You take as many of uh, whatever you want with the limitations there is. 
uh, according to the rules building. And then for each campaign mission, you pull from that pool of 500 to make a strike team or whatever points you want. You know, if you make a play a 150 point game, you make 150 point from what you have, not from the book anymore. Right. So you're you're almost like pre-generating, call it three, you know, about three to four strike teams or three to three to four different strike team loadouts, and you have to choose from that. Yes. And then as you play your campaign, you know, you win or lose, and you gain these resource points, which allows you to buy certain things in the game. And then there's, you know, post-game stuff where you, uh, or pre-game stuff where you can uh, hire your mercenaries. There's uh, an underdog dice thing where if, you know, you're playing someone who's got more, uh, a higher level army than you, then you'll get extra command dice, things like that. Cool, cool. Uh, then the post-game sequence, you, you know, you, you can add to your, you know, you play the game. You play the mission, whatever it is, and then you, you score. Uh, so if you're playing a mission where you there are crates and you can pick up equipment crates, anything you pick up in that game, as long as your character is still holding on to it when the game ends, goes back into your armory. So it'll be available for you for the next game. Nice. So even though you just got the new shiny hotness, you don't have to use it. You can save it for the next game or for when you feel that you really need it. Exactly. Or if you didn't think... Uh, or, you know, like I said, if you are rabbing, you're a scavenger and you're playing the one where you just pick up a lot of crates and stuff, you know, you could end up with stuff that you didn't buy because you didn't want to spend the points on. Okay. That makes sense. And then yeah. I take it as models die, they're removed from the force. Yeah. I mean, at the casualties, what happens is at the end of the game, the model is not really dead until you roll on the casualty. T- okay. And then at that point, depending on how you roll, there'll either be okay for next game they might have to sit out or, they, or, they, or they're just dead. Yeah, or they get a permanent injury, like they lose one to the shoot skill or one of their survival skill, things like that. Nice. So it's so you guys really, I mean, not to like harken back to anything, but you guys really kind of, with this one especially, tried to really tap the vein of the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the skirmish story-based games of old, like, uh, you know, that we used to play a lot of are gone, and you're really trying to tap that vein again. So, for example, this the campaign in this very much feels like Necromunda. And I think that's something you guys were really shooting for. Uh, I don't know if we were shooting for, but there was a void for a long time of skirm- skirmish games just in general. You know, fantasy skirmish games and sci-fi skirmish games. We just happened to go with the... F- with the the sci-fi skirmish game because it was uh, it worked with our plan to get Warpath. You know, we started with the universe of Dreadball. Now we include now we expand that universe now to include Dead Zone and all the fluff with that. So with Dreadball, you're seeing what's happening in in the in the inner sphere. You know, all the lights and the glitz and glory. Basically, uh, for a Star Wars reference, you're looking at the Coruscant picture. Right now, with Dead Zone, you're looking at the Tatooine picture out in the out in the outer rim, kind of thing. What's going on? Uh, the dirty, gritty, you know, Rebs uh, trying to overthrow uh, the central government, uh, scrounging for weapons and things so they can take the fight to the enforcers. You know, you got the the plague uh, starting to come about and try to spread their infection, kind of a thing. Right. So the the other thing with this as well is with Dead Zone and 
Dreadball, it all leads into the Warpath universe. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I guess has been kind of hinted at is the fact that uh, so Dead Zone will kind of scale up in which I believe is called Warpath Firefight, which then that scales up into full-on Warpath play. That is correct. Okay. Uh, whereas Warpath Firefight, for lack of better terms, Warpath Firefight is kind of more of a individual model squad, maybe two or three squads. So basically okay. you're taking... So it's bigger than Dead Zone. Yes, yeah, so you're basically you're going to maybe field three or four strike teams on a, on a, on a battle. Whereas you would field one strike team in uh, Dead Zone. And then vice versa, when you get to just regular Warpath, now you're looking to field uh, four or five teams in a unit fielding four or five units. So it definitely ramps up from there. Yeah. Uh, And the way we designed, uh, Ronnie wanted to design Dead Zone is that you could take your strike team Say you got a strike team, you know, some enforcers. You take that strike team enforcers, and then that'll be a unit in Warpath. Or not a unit, but a, a squad in Warpath. Nice. So it all it all ties together, and it really allows you to kind of play the Warpath universe at the scale that you want pretty much at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So if you guys wanted to just do like a quick... You know, I don't want to call it a quick and dirty pickup game, but then, you know, Dead Zone's for you in that. If you want to go, say, like, ah, we got, like, half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, then, you know, Dead or, uh, Warpath Firefight. Or if we're just going to say, let's go nuts, Warpath is the game. Yeah, and just like anything else that Ryan likes to do and we do here in Mantic, um, you're going to play that big game of uh, Warpath, and you're still going to be able to finish it within an hour, hour and a half. You right. know, Dead Zone itself, you can play anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, which is great. And I know it kind of makes it, I, I hate using the term like a pocket war game, but it, it definitely, it ties everything together very neatly and allows you yeah. to play the games quickly. Yeah, and then you can play more than one game in a session, so you feel like you're, you're getting your money's worth for your models or for the game you play. You know, you're not just breaking it out, playing one game, and then calling it quits. Right, exactly. So, yeah, we so we've touched quite a bit on Dead Zone. And I'm really hoping that a lot of the listeners get out there and really start to play the game. You know, definitely give it a shot. It, it's it's a really cool game. I'm excited to be playing it. My first Dead Zone 2.0 game will actually be played this next weekend. Nice. But uh, tell us a little bit about the Pathfinder program. This is your your volunteer program. Yeah, so uh, Mantic's volunteer program is the Pathfinder program. Uh, basically... What a Pathfinder does is they go to their local gaming store in their areas and they set up a time with their store to demo Mantic games, uh, you know, and that's a way to bring the community in. Uh, not only do they just uh, demo the games for stores, you know, to get new players in, they also run events for us in their local game stores. They'll run tournaments. They'll run, uh, like we have one... Uh, group of Pathfinders who's running the campaign day for Kings of War. So basically it's a worldwide campaign day where you play your campaign and as you turn your results in on the Facebook page the next mission, depending on what happens with the turnout uh, the mission, the next mission for Kings of War will be released on Facebook via the results of the, the games prior to that. Right, okay, cool. So, uh so these are just things of the duties of the Pathfinders. Um, 
there are basically our ambassadors to the community. You know, they they go out to the stores, they go out to the conventions, they play the games, they run the events, they bring people in. Um, they're just a, a really good group of guys. Awesome. So, do now Pathfinders? Do they have to know every single game that Mantic has, or can they focus on just one or two? Uh, initially, they can focus on one or two, but. By the time I guess with uh, my expectations of them is by the time their their year of being a Pathfinder is up, they should know all the games. Gotcha. Perfect. Uh, because you know one of the perks of being a Pathfinder is that you you normally do get the rules ahead of time, so you can learn the game. So when it's time for release, you're already versed in how to play the game. Uh, so it's not like they don't have the resources not to learn the games. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So. And I know the one big thing, and I can say this just coming from, uh, you know, Kings of War and everything else, Mantic's games are not that hard to learn. So anybody that's listening that thinks, oh, man, that's a daunting task to learn every single game that Mantic has, it's really not. Um, pretty much any of the games that they have, I mean, you know, Nick can even attest to this from, you know, playing his first couple games at Kings of War, you pretty much know the general rules within about five minutes. Usually past first turn, you're good. You know, You kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we, we pride ourselves in is as, as the ease of play. You know, we want you to learn the nuances of the game rather than try to actually learn the game throughout your whole play, you know. Learn the strategies of the game, I guess, or learn the strategy of your army while you're playing rather than trying to learn the game, you know. Right, rather than reading codex amongst codex amongst codex and everything else and looking yeah. for arenas here and there and looking for stuff to break. Or halting halting gameplay so you can go back to look at a rule. Gotcha. You have to do that very little. Very yeah, little. If, if at all, really, you know. Well, when you're, when you're still new, you know, blind leading the blind sort of thing. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, with blind leading the blind, I think within two or three games, you're, you guys are pretty much good to go. Yeah. Generally, so. uh, unless you decide to try and pull off shenanigans that you thought you could. <laughs> but that's all right. It's a, in that sense, it's a learning process. Yeah. Or people just stare at my army of ogres and just go, because that happens quite often too. <laughs> that's all right. That's the that's the Jonied army. Well, you know, I, I think the big thing with ogres is that they're big. So you see a couple of them, and you're like, oh, shouldn't you have more? And he's like, no, no, those are hordes. It's like, but there's two of them. <laughs> and, and they're like, you know, on little bases. How am I supposed to fight that? <laughs> <laughs> I've got this horde that takes up half the table. Oh, you can fight it. Well, the, while the ogres are big, their model count is also still kind of low. Low model count, and also for, uh, you know... Just to kind of give a heads up to anybody out there who's looking at getting into Kings of War, they have low nerve. They're gonna, they, they don't take a beating very well, but they definitely dish it out. Yeah, they're they're good for punching in the face, but then uh, if they don't make you run away right away, there's a good chance that you could probably make them run away. Yes. yes bully fail in our YouTubers. We'll call it bully fail. Yes. <laughs> I've had that happen a couple times where I'll move stuff forward and be like, I'm going to wreck your face. And I, I roll my attack, and I'm like, I hit with, like, three attacks out of 18. This is going to suck really badly yeah. on the rebound. 
That that or you go to hit somebody or you hit somebody, they should be dead, and then you roll, you know, ones. Oh yeah, the snake eyes, the dreaded snake eyes. Yes. It's like, oh, oh, my unit gets to live. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I didn't want that. Shoot. That's the opposite of what I wanted. Thank you very much. Yeah, I do. Lo- I do love that rule though, and because it just makes for very sad games. Is that a sad game? Where I, I like to call it a little more fun game because it's just that uncertain. You're like, yeah, I got you, and oh no, I don't. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's when you need it, you know, when you need it the least that it shows up. Yeah, but on, I guess on the other hand, if it happens to you and you're like, yeah, I get another attack. Oh yeah, no, no. I, I've I've had it both ways now, and it is it's much better when it's your luck that you know he rolls snake eyes. Sure, <laughs> it's a great feeling then. Yeah, you know I actually had a couple games a while back where I I rolled I think five snake eyes in one game. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was terrible. This is um, time for new dice. Yeah, yeah I, I some dice prisons. Yeah. Or yes. the bottom of a skillet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I that that last game it, w- it was pretty bad that I ended up rolling that many because it was all during like important key things where it's like I need to remove you from here so I can claim objectives. I've already done like thirty damage to your unit. Nothing in the game can stand up to thirty wounds. Not even a legion of zombies. Double ones. Awesome. <laughs> this legion can. <laughs> And it happened five times in one game, and that was just me. So, yeah, it, it uh, did not go well. So, yeah, fun times, fun times. Well, Pat, um, you know, we, we did cover quite a bit tonight. Is there anything else that you want to touch upon when it comes time to the Mantic or the Pathfinder program? How do people get a hold of you for the Pathfinder program? Um, oh, sure. Uh, if you want to be a Pathfinder, uh, you can go to the Mantic website or the Mantic blog and just type in the search bar want to be a Pathfinder, and that'll bring up a little page that gives you all the directions and the application form that you can fill out to email to me at communitypat at mantigames.com. Okay, cool. And then uh, what is some of the next hotness coming out from Mantic? Uh, so, let's see. So July, we're going to have a lot of, we're going to have some of the Marauder models coming out. Uh, Dungeon Saga is going to bring in a uh, the Warlord Gal here, so we're now going to introduce orcs into the Dungeon Saga universe. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Warlord Gal here. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, uh, yeah, for July, Marat. Oh, and more vermin. Okay, and more. Uh, will be released for Dead Zone. Nice. And then for Mantic, I believe in July, comes Empire of Dust. Oh, that's the other one. I knew I was missing something. Empire of Dust. So more Undead for you players. Uh, Egyptian theme Undead. Uh, if you haven't seen the models, they look fantabulous. And there will be a release day event for that, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't remember the, name, the date. I don't that's have okay. my Joe didn't give it to me either. Yeah, I don't have my email open. <laughs> uh, but it will be, I want to say, it'll be closer, I think it's closer to the end of July. Cool. Alrighty, so you guys will be kicking that out just before Gen Con. So is that going to be something where you guys will have it featured at ATC? Uh, probably not. Uh, we probably yeah. won't have any of that stuff for ATC, I'm sorry. 
Damn. I know. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, what we'll have at ATC will be very limited because we're just actually running the team tournament there. We won't be actually boothing it up. Right. Yeah, that was the one thing that I, I did talk with Joe a little bit about is that you guys weren't going to have a booth. You're just going down there and kind of representing a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but I think we'll have it for Gen Con, of course. We'll have the display models at Gen Con. Uh, things going on at Gen Con, you know, there's plenty of Kings of War going on. There's a Clash of Kings slash a U.S. Masters qualifier. There is a bunch of learn and play for Kings of War. Uh, we're going to have uh, a bunch of Dead Zone demos. So if you're looking to play, you're still on the fence, you want to wait, uh, come to Gen Con. We'll run you through a bunch of demos and play the game. Uh, we're going to do a lot of Dungeon Saga. There's a Dungeon Saga event that we have that uh, it's a timed event. It's an hour-long event to see how many scenarios you can get through with your t- your with your uh, with your dungeon party. Uh, whoever gets the furthest away will win the prize over the over the course of, I think Thursday and Friday. Nice. I'm just going to harken that up to a Dark Souls speed run. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's not how many monsters you kill, it's how many how many dungeons you can get through. Uh, there's a monster Kings of War monster battle that we're going to be running uh, Thursday and Friday. There's a Dreadball Gen Con Cup tournament, which also qualifies for free entry into the national championship at Adepticon. Uh, and the big news is that uh, we will be demoing uh, the Walking Dead All Out War at Gen Con. Nice. And doing pre pre orders. Nice. And what is that one supposed to be hitting uh, retail stores? Uh, about November. November. Okay, cool. Something to definitely look forward to. I saw the models for that. Unfortunately, uh, the Kickstarter for that came out right around the time I started looking for the house and everything else and saving, so I couldn't jump on board. But sure. Well, I mean, the buy-in is so close to the comics is amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, we have that's our license is the comics, so we can use just pretty much anything in the comics. Sweet. Uh, so all the models, all the zombie models are zombies from the comics, uh, which is great. Zombie Ronnie. Yep, zombie Ronnie. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I can get a zombie. I'm gonna push for a zombie myself. <laughs> uh, but it'll be good. We'll have the 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 game to play, so people can try it out. It'll be in models. Uh, very excited for All at War. Um, it's gonna be good. I think it'll be uh, it's gonna be a great game. The you know the price point is 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 right on right on uh, for starting uh, a miniature game if you're looking to get into a miniature game. Uh, so yeah, it'll be good. Awesome. Well, Pat, I definitely gotta thank you for coming on and taking your time taking time out of your night to talk to us. Uh, you know, I know that I if we could only do longer segments, but unfortunately we're all busy people, but. Mantic has got so much good stuff, and there's so much to cover. So we definitely have to have you come on again and talk about some of the other products as well. Oh, yeah, it would be definitely my pleasure. All right. Folks, for tonight's episode of Supremacy, uh, next week we'll have more exciting and uh, more coming up soon. Uh, have a good night. Have a good night. All right, have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at tim at skirmishsupremacy.com 
or nick at skirmishsupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.